Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, April the 18th, 2023. It is currently 9.27 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, if you are a dedicated listener to this podcast, I mean, I, 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 I like to put all of my listeners in different categories, right? Because you try to understand your audience, right? I've got those, I'll call them the dedicated group. They listen to basically everything. They rarely miss an episode. They participate. They email me. They ask questions. They answer questions. They participate in assignments or homework. I get. They, they're right there. They are the ones who, they, they, are, they are always contacting me and they listen to literally everything. That's my dedicated group. Absolutely love that. Many of them actually then financially help support the podcast. So that's the dedicated. Then you have, I call them the anonymous people. I see the numbers, right? Like when I go to all the different platforms, I'm like, oh, there's, there's a, a thousand people listen today. Never heard, I probably never heard from any of these people. Don't know who they are. Have no clue. Don't know if they like it. Hate me. Don't know anything. There's the anonymous. So I've got the dedicated. I've got the anonymous. I got they really, really, really hate me group. They contact me, but it's always like, you're trash. You're stupid. You mispronounced a word. You can't speak correctly. You're, you're too overdramatic. You scream. You're, you're too quiet. It's just, it's just tear you down, tear you down, tear you down, tear you down. And those, you get to know those people. And sometimes you, sometimes you have to, like, usually I just don't respond. Usually I just let it go. Sometimes after 15, 20 emails, I, I, I sometimes will email and go, you know, Hey, you don't have to listen. You know, <laughs> no one's making you. I, 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 you know, you're right. I'm stupid. I mispronounce. Like, okay. Everything you say about me may be a hundred percent true. I'm not even going to defend myself. You don't have to listen. <laughs> okay. So I've got the dedicated. I've got the anonymous. I got, they really, really, really do hate me. And it, it, it's, it's, I think those are kind of the three basic categories that I, I have listening. And so if you're one of the dedicated listeners, dedicated, you may remember sometimes, <laughs> actually, to be fair, they really, really hate me. Some of them are very dedicated because they listen to everything. And usually before I'm done speaking, they're already going at the seven minute mark. You said presbytery or whatever I said I, I, in the last bar. I already got one of those emails. I said the word incorrectly. But it's actually pronounced, boom, I get those all the time. So, so they're, sometimes they're dedicated. So if you're the dedicated, you seem to like me, or you're the dedicated, you actually hate me, you may remember March the 21st, 2023. Do you remember that? March the 21st, 2023. Do you remember? Oh, I know you remember. You remember everything I said, right? Right? Okay, you probably don't. I did an episode entitled Quit quiet time, question mark, quit quiet time, question mark. Now, a lot of times people will email me and say, your titles are not grammatically correct. Understand my titles have to be, there's only so many characters I can use because some platforms will not allow you to have 
a longer title. Some platforms don't care. Some lim- So sometimes I have to just make it work, all right? So because I could say, should you quit your quiet time? That's that's how I wanted to make the title, but I just put quit quiet time question mark because I wasn't telling you to quit. I was asking a question. Should you quit your quiet time? And I believe we looked at an article. I believe it came from the Gospel Coalition, if I remember correctly. I believe that's the website. It may have been Christianity Today. I don't remember exactly which website, but I we looked at this article where they basically, they made a claim that, hey, you should quit your quiet time because there's a problem with it. it it's, it's not doing positive things. And we talked a lot about it. Once again, it's one of those episodes that I was hoping would spark much conversation. I think most people were kind of like, yeah, who cares? Quiet time, no quiet time, quit it, don't quit it, start it, never start it. Eh, I think most people didn't really care. I thought it was like, hey, this is a big deal. We need to talk about it. But I don't think most people really felt that need. In fact, looking at the numbers just on the Sermons 2.0 app, <laughs> right? Now, I haven't checked all the other apps. So this obviously does not in any way indicate how many people have totally listened to the episode because our podcast episodes are literally on every podcasting platform on earth. But on the Sermons 2.0 app, a whopping 19 people listened. <laughs> you talk about discouraging. 19 people. Woohoo! Man, I'm breaking records. Look at me. I'm ready to be. <laughs> that. That's an abysmal failure. Okay, so obviously nobody wants to talk about quitting your quiet time. So what do I do? I turn on the microphone on Tuesday, April the 18th to go, we're going to talk about it again because even though nobody seems to care who listens to me, someone out there cares because someone wrote an entire article arguing opposite to the original article. They're trying to rebut. They're trying to rebuff. They're trying to argue against the original article. So, if you would like to find it, you can go to the Church One app or the Sermons 2.0 app, find Theology Central, search for quit quiet time question mark, and you can listen to it. It's uh, how long is it? Hang on. Let me hit play here. It is how, how long? It is 42 minutes long, 42 minutes long if you would like to listen to it, 42 minutes long if you would like to listen to it. So, um, I, and you can, you can hear, you can hear the perspective and you can offer your thoughts. You can, I mean, I probably received some emails about it, but once again, it didn't spark the conversation that I thought. So I, I'd already forgot about that article, moved on with my life wasn't paying any attention. And then I was downstairs and I was trying to keep up with the NHL playoffs, right? Some hockey. And uh, I think I was watching Vegas and and I, I don't know that the game is, I think it's an intermission. Maybe it's going to the second quarter, the th- third half, whatever they call it. I was watching the th- period. And uh, I think the third period, I think, I don't know where they were, where they were at, but I was trying to keep up with it. And then while I'm keeping up with that or trying to, I all of a sudden I see an article, a, a headline, from Christianity.com, dated March the 31st. So it's an older article. I don't even know how I stumbled upon it. Don't even know. And guess what the headline is? No, it's not time to quit quiet time. I'm like, whoa. So we looked at the article that says it is time to quit quiet time. And now here's the rebuttal. No, it's not time to quit quiet time, which I absolutely love. 
Because once again, it proves what I always say about Christianity. We literally can't agree on anything. Christians now can't even agree. Quiet time. No quiet time. Quit your quiet time. No, don't quit your quiet time. Start a quiet time. No, don't start a quiet time. Quiet time is good. Quiet time is bad. <laughs> I, I, You have, come on. You have to find that a little bit humorous, right? I mean, for crying out loud, is there anything Christians can agree on? Anything? Literally any? Okay, all right. I know. Whenever I say that, Christians get, they get all defensive and like, oh, we agree on so much. Okay, all right. You believe that. We don't. But here we go. Here's the article. All right. Uh, this was, again, published March the 31st, 2023. And when I did my uh, episode, the I, I think the article. So, so in March, Christians were talking about whether we should quit or not quit our quiet time. Here's how the article begins. Again, this is uh, from Christianity.com. No, it's not time to quit quiet time. Let's not quit quiet time. Let's avoid demanding that it accomplish something it's not designed to accomplish. Hmm. That's interesting. Hey, don't quit it, but let's stop demanding that it accomplish something that it's not designed to accomplish. So in your Christian life, when you hear you need your daily quiet time, you need your daily quiet time, what do you think people claim that it will accomplish? Now, I've basically, at least now, I, 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 when I first became a Christian, yeah, I start stumbling over my words. When I first became a Christian, it felt like to me that it was basically like, look, you cannot overcome sin. You cannot stop sinning unless you have a daily quiet time. If you don't, if you have a, if you are not having a daily quiet time, you're going to sleep with a girl and you're going to commit fornication and you're going to look at pornography and you're going to do this and you're going to get drunk and you're going to start dancing and you're going to listen to secular music. You got to have a daily quiet time. It basically was the cure all to fix all my spiritual temptations and problems. The daily quiet time would fix everything. Um, others were like, um, I would, that I cannot have a close relationship with Jesus Christ without a daily quiet. If I'm not having a daily quiet time, I won't have a close relationship with Jesus Christ. So basically I'll be out of fellowship with God and I'll be backslidden. All right. Uh, some I, I, I've heard so far, basically, if not, I'm not having a daily quiet time, if I'm not spending time daily in God's word, it could call into question my love for God, which then could call into question my salvation. So I've heard, I've heard a lot. I've heard it preached a lot of different ways. So I think we would have to, first of all, I don't know if anyone agrees on exactly what a daily quiet time accomplishes or doesn't accomplish. It really depends on which book you buy about your daily quiet time, right? Or your church and whatever they claim about it. Now they say, let's avoid privatizing our spiritual lives. Now this is interesting. So let's avoid privatizing our spiritual lives and commit to ensuring that our personal study of scripture takes place within the community of the local church alongside other believers and pastors. Now, we haven't even got into the article yet. This is just kind of like their, their opening paragraph here. They're kind of this, their, their summary paragraph. So according to them, number one, don't quit your quiet time. Number two, avoid demanding that it accomplishes something it was never designed to accomplish. Now here, they don't tell us exactly what it was designed to accomplish. Maybe in the article, they will. Number three, they say, hey, we get to avoid privatizing our, our Christian lives, our spiritual lives. No more making your spiritual life private. 
We've got to learn to take our study of scripture and our time with scripture. We got to take it to the church. We got to take it to the community of the local church. And we got to study alongside believers and pastors. Oh, boy, 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 boy. All right. I don't know how I feel about this. We've talked about this in great depth here on this podcast. We've done a number of episodes. I need a pencil right here. Here we go. I got to grab a pencil. When I start thinking, I got to put a pencil in my hand. All right, here we go. We, we have, I've done podcast episodes and I've even asked the listening audience to participate and let me know that in your Christian life, where have you found the greatest growth spiritually? Where have you grow, uh, where have you seen the greatest growth biblically with your Bible knowledge? Where have you seen the greatest impact positively upon your Christian life? Inside the church, outside the church, or I think I phrased it this way. If you look at what has contributed most to your spiritual growth, would you look to the church or look to things outside of the church? And hands down, not one person responded with the church. They said, you know, Christian books, Christian radio, uh, Christian podcast, Christian sermons online. Like, like they, they pointed to ev- their own personal study. Like, and it, it was like, nobody said the church, not one person, not one person. Now, either that, that identifies that my audience is very anti-church <laughs> Okay. Um, but I found it fascinating. I'm like, nobody, like somebody would come go, no, it was the church. Almost everybody's like outside the church. Now I, again, I'll just have to go through my story. I'll go quick. I become a believer as a teenager. The first person who disciples me, I did meet them in church, but all of the discipleship took place outside of church. Right. It was she was like 70, 75. I always joke. I mean, I don't know how old she actually was. She felt like she was 70, 80, 90 to me as a teenager. But I went to her house every day after school, got, you know, walked into her house. I sat on the floor. She was in a rocking chair. She had a Bible and she talked about doctrine, theology, just, and I just listened to her. I learned more from her than I ever did a sermon or a pastor. I mean, I, that, she was instrumental in, in my early development. All right. I told you that I would go home. Uh, if I, if I, if I usually sometimes out, I, I don't remember what time they started, but either after, her, uh, going to her house or later in the afternoon or evening, trying to remember all the time, timing of all of it, all of these years later is not perfect. But I I would also go home after school and I had three notebooks. I've told everyone this story a million times. One was Chuck Smith. One was Chuck Swindoll, Charles Swindoll uh, or Chuck Swindoll. And one was John MacArthur. And they came on the radio and I was almost back to back to back. And I, and I've always make the joke, Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel, that notebook never got one thing written down in it because I don't know me and him. We did not connect. I'm sorry. I was just like, next Chuck Swindoll taught me application, 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 learning how to apply scripture. And, and uh, John MacArthur taught me expositional preaching verse by verse. That's really, and then that was instrumental in my Christian life. And then the next thing that was instrumental in my Christian life is on my own, got in my car, Drove to Butternut Street, Abilene, Texas. Walk, walk into the Bible bookstore there on Butternut. It's not there anymore. I can show you where the building used to be. I walked in and I looked around. I'd never been into a Christian bookstore in my life. 
I'm like, what is this place? What is this strange world I have entered in? And I'm like, okay, I'm a teenager. There's like a youth department. And this older gentleman come walking up and he's like, uh, how can I help you? I'm like, well, I'm a brand new Christian. I figure we go to a Christian bookstore. And he's like, oh, well, you know, praise God. That's awesome. So good to, you know, welcome to the family. That kind of thing was very, very nice. And he said, so you're trying to find like a book to get you started in the Christian life? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, let's not, let's not look at these books in the youth department. It takes me over to the theology section and hands me like Foundations of the Christian Faith by James Montgomery Boyce from 10th Presbyterian Church. And that's the first Christian book I ever bought. So between Christian radio, this old saint, uh, and the Christian bookstore, that became my source of all of my spiritual development and learning took place there. The church had a discipleship class. I've told the story. I showed up. I was the only one there. And I don't remember one thing about it. It was just kind of like, you need to tell people about Jesus because if you don't, they're going to go to hell and it's going to be your fault. That was basically the equivalent of discipleship. They probably told me I need to have a quiet time. They definitely didn't tell me how to study the Bible. And remember the next major thing that happened is I was at the Bible bookstore and I was looking and the discount because I didn't have much money. I'm a teenager. There's a discount bin and it was like for 25 or 50 cents, um, 12 methods of Bible study. I bought the book and that's where I learned all the 12 methods of Bible study and started utilizing them. All of that was outside the church. All of it. All of it. The the one church where I really started learning some doctrine and theology was the Lutheran church when I switched from Baptist to become a Lutheran and wanted to be a Lutheran pastor before I left Lutheranism because of infant baptism. And finally, I couldn't reconcile that with scripture. But most of all of my discipleship took place outside of the church. Worth saying is, hey, we got to stop the privatizing of our spiritual lives. We've got we've to study scripture Within the community, I hate that buzzword, community of the local church alongside believers and pastors. I don't know. Is is the problem with quiet time is because it's the privatizing of our spiritual life? Is that the problem with your quiet time? They're saying, hey, don't quit it. But you just got to move that study of scripture to the community alongside pastors I, uh, okay, let's see what they have to say here. Now the article begins, and I quote. Now, uh, just so that you know, underneath that paragraph, that kind of summary paragraph, there's a photograph of a woman. She's sitting on a blanket. She's under a tree. She's got her Bible open. She's holding it to her chest, and she's got her eye, her head tilted upward and her eyes closed. So I guess that they're showing, no, 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 no. You, you shouldn't be having your quiet time under a tree by yourself because that's the privatizing of one spiritual life that needs to occur inside a church. I guess that's what they're implying. I don't know. How would you interpret the picture underneath that paragraph? That's how I would interpret it. Here we go. It begins. I grew up in church singing, read your Bible and pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. A few weeks ago, Christianity Today, all right, in my introduction, I said the Gospel Coalition, I apologize. Christianity Today published an article suggesting that when it comes to spiritual growth, perhaps we need to try something else. So Christianity Today was basically, we got to stop this quiet time thing. We got to stop it. We got to stop it. All right. 
in their article entitled, Is It Time to Quit Quiet Time? They named some of the people who, who, who wrote the article and was involved in the article. It says they challenged the efficacy and place of a discipline at the center of many evangelicals' devotional lives, the daily quiet time. That they, they challenge the efficacy that how, how effective it really, how effective really is daily quiet time. Long considered by evangelicals to be an important discipline for cultivating spiritual growth and intimacy with the Lord, the modern quiet time or daily devotion generally refers to an individual's practice of private worship through prayer and Bible reading. Now, there's no question that at least through the history of Christianity, as far as I have seen it, uh, as far as my experience has go, let me make it, let me state it that way. Obviously, daily quiet time, daily quiet time, daily quiet time, daily quiet time. Now, if we go back to the early, early church, I got all the books laying right over here next to me. You have the liturgy of the hours, where you have the morning prayer, office of readings, uh, afternoon prayer, evening prayer. Late night prayer. They had more hours in the early church, but this was where you're you're praying scripture and you're doing so. I think originally it was like seven times a day, and they've now reduced it to morning, afternoon, evening, late at night, or night prayer, and then office of reading. So I think there's now just five hours. I think it originally had seven, but it was it the the whole concept of the liturgy of the hours was to structure your entire day around. Scripture. I mean, you're literally just all praying. You're praying scripture, and every month you go, you end up reading, praying all 150 psalms. So it was a very intensive daily quiet time. It wasn't so much about study, but it was about reading the scripture and praying the scripture. So I think there, the church has always had some kind of daily. We need to be doing something. In regards to our spiritual lives, I think that's always been there to some level. I just know when I came along, daily quiet time, daily quiet time, daily quiet time, daily devotional, daily devotional, daily quiet time, daily devotional, daily quiet. I mean, there were everywhere. I mean, go to any Bible bookstore back then and there would be a thousand books on there. And I mean, every I mean, it's always been that way. So I agree that it has been. um I mean, it's been, it's been basically not, I would say beyond important. It was, it was viewed as absolutely essential. All right. Um, the authors, I guess, of the original uh, uh, article acknowledge that it's reasonable to see Jesus' private prayer as a ritual we should emulate. Uh, because Jesus obviously at many times would separate himself and pray to the Father. And they're like, well, obviously a lot of people are going to see that going, we should emulate the same. Uh, that the greatest generation effectively practice daily devotions and that solitary prayer and reflection are part of a well-rounded Christian life. Readers might initially expect to learn how they may cultivate or regain a healthy, quiet time, one, uh, one more like Jesus or perhaps like that of the greatest generation. As it turns out, that's not what they have in mind. Instead, after critiquing it from a variety of angles, the original article about quitting your quiet time tells us that we need to move away from the daily quiet time as a primary devotional practice, that our common rituals of Bible engagement are not working and need to be disrupted, that we need to shift the devo devotional center of gravity away from solitary practices and toward communal ones. All right. Now. 
that sounds a little bit like what they, they're saying as well. So just so that we remember, the original article, if, and, and if I remember correctly, was kind of making the argument, well, something is wrong, right? Something is wrong because we've been trying to do daily quiet times forever. And clearly something is wrong because people are more and more biblically illiterate. They don't get it. And, and they, I think if I remember cor- correctly, or at least I, 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 I'm trying not to, I don't want to, state the article is saying something that it didn't say because I'm trying to, I'm mixing up my, my thoughts with the article, but in our discussion, I'll say it that way. I definitely, definitely, I definitely pointed out that with many quiet times, it's the, it's the devotional mentality. I don't have a, where do I have a, do I have my devotional? Hang on. Right here behind me. Right. Uh, feature a daily Bible study guide. And what I tried to articulate is one of the problems with quiet time is the, is people do these daily quiet times and then they show up Bible college or wherever. And then the professor is always blown away. Like these people don't know anything. What is wrong? And they'll be like, I do daily quiet times. It's because the devotional material that they use, they just read the scripture read what is said and walk away and not realize that they don't really understand the scripture, don't really understand the context. And so daily quiet time for whatever benefit it comes from it, because the way it's structured and because the way people uh, participate in it, it leads them to not grasping what scripture is actually saying. And they read the daily devotional to make it about them then versus making it about the text. I really criticized how daily quiet time is done and all of the negative things that arises from it. All right. I don't, I don't know if, if we move it back to the church, that's going to magically fix it because the church has been putting out sermons that rip verses out of context and make the text about us, they've been doing it forever. So I don't know if moving it back to the church is going to fix it. And go check out any Sunday school class or small group where everyone sits around in a semicircle telling everyone what they think the text means. I mean, come on. I mean, so I don't think the church is the answer, but they say that the problem is, or at least they're implying, uh, that the, the, the problem is we need to move it away from a solitary practice towards a communal one. Uh, For the authors, the way forward lies in communal devotional habits. They offer extended communal readings of scripture, long form group listening, and repeatedly reading whole books of the Bible as examples of the devotional shift of gravity they believe has the potential to address the problems associated with and caused by daily devotions. All right. Now, I'm going to look here because the way this article is written Okay, that's, okay, hang on. I'm going to go to the, no, that's the original article. Yeah, okay. All right. They're, uh, because the way they're, they, it, it's almost like on one hand, they're, they are, yeah, all right. It's written very weird. But yeah, okay, they are referencing the original authors of the original article. Okay. They says, for the original authors, the way forward lies in communal devotional habits. They offer extended communal readings of scripture, long form group listening, and repeatedly reading whole books of the Bible's examples of the devotional shift of gravity they believe has the potential to address the problems associated with and caused by daily devotion. So according to them, the original article, and I don't know if we talked a lot about this, their, their solution they're claiming is that, hey, we got to stop this being a, prav- a private thing. We got to move this to a communal thing. 
So once again, you know where this is going to lead. We need small groups. 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 I don't know. Do we need more church services? I don't know. It almost always goes that we need small groups because rarely people are calling that we need the church meeting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. No, 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 no. So we need less sermons. We need less preaching and we need more people sitting in a communal setting, some kind of semicircle. And that's where we do our daily quiet time in that setting, because that will produce the greatest results. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't buy that for one second. I don't buy that. I have sat in way too many Sunday school class, classes in my Christian life that were an absolute travesty and a joke. Everyone going around going, I think it means this. I think it means this. Okay. Like, well, wait, no, someone can't, so not everyone can be right. Is someone going to say something? Like, it, it's just like, I don't even know what occurred. And I've been to small groups and it's been like, this, this is about, let's get a 15 minute, a 10 minute devotional out of the way so we can all talk about our lives. And, 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 and it's like, it, this is a social setting. So they're saying, Hey, the problem is it's not the quiet time. It's the, it's privatizing it. Like quiet time, daily quiet time shouldn't be privatized. It should be communal and that will fix it. I, I, I do not believe that for one second. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just don't. They say, while well, the original authors rightly point out the dangers commonly associated with quiet time, I'm convinced that their intentional move away from private worship is a step in the wrong direction. Okay, so now, all right, so for a minute there, I thought the, the author, author here was agreeing with their, their solution because in his summary paragraph, he talked about the, the dangers of privatizing it. So I don't know, it's, it's written very weird when you read that summary paragraph, but Clearly, he, the author here, doesn't seem to be in agreement with the, the moving uh, that we get away from the private part. He seems to say we shouldn't get away from it. So let's see what he has to say here, all right? So while the original authors rightly point out the dangers commonly associated with quiet time, and I don't think the dangers associated with quiet time have anything to do with the fact if it's private or if it's communal. The issue is how we do it. How we handle the scriptures. We rip verses out of context. He goes, I'm convinced that their intentional move away from private worship is a step in the wrong direction and has the potential to do more harm than good when it comes to the spiritual formation of believers. To be sure, I do think we may need to rethink our image of devotion and Bible reading, but not in the way the original author suggested. In short, it's not time to quit quiet time. Now, now they're going to give us some, some, some information here. All right. So, so let's go through this. All right. So which camp are you in pro quiet time or quit quiet time? Are you on team quiet time or team quit quiet time? I'm on my own team, which is quit doing quiet time the wrong way where you make it about you, you rip scripture out of context and you ignore the need to do a little bit more than a three second read of a, of a verse and read a little devotional paragraph and think that you're good. That's the problem. To me, it's how people have been taught to do it. That's my problem. That's my problem. All right. But let's see what they have to say here. All right. 
says when it comes to the when it comes to the evangelical quiet time, the original authors rightly critique the all too common tendency to engage in private worship to receive God's guidance for their personal life in that moment and ask God to reveal something for me and for today. Well, yeah. Now, once again, I do believe that's a problem, right? That people go to quiet time and is like, okay, God, what do you what do you want me to know today? And then they open their Bible and like, oh, that's what you want me to know today. I've given the example, woman I worked with, was unable to get pregnant. She had her morning devotional time. She read God promising Abram and Sarai a baby. And she comes to work going, God showed me this morning, I'm going to have a baby. And it's like, what in the absolute name of bubble gum are you talking about? Your name is not Sarai. Your husband is not Abram. God did not give you that promise. That promise has literally nothing to do with you at all other than the covenant made with Abraham. We could get into the, the Abrahamic covenant, but that promise of a child, no, 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 no. And well, so again, that goes after not the fact that it's private, that goes after the fact that it's being done incorrectly. But listen, it's being done incorrectly in private because they learn how to do it wrong In that communal setting, pastors preach sermons where they take text and make it about the people that are listening instead of making it about the people in the text. They rip it out of context and they go for application instead of correct understanding. So the issue is the, the communal is what sets everyone up for failure in the private. You would be better off never to go to the church where you learn how to do it the wrong way. <laughs> oh boy, that's going to get me in trouble. All right. So I, I once again, the issue is not private or communal. The issue is how you're doing it. Now look, look, here we go. One needs to look no further than the millions of copies sold by Sarah Young's Jesus Calling to see that the idea of receiving special situation specific message from God is a devotional epidemic. Oh, Jesus Calling is total trash. Jesus Calling is total heresy. Jesus Calling should be avoided like the plague. Like, like, If you walk by a store and they're selling Jesus Calling, you need to get a vaccination immediately because you probably have already contracted the disease. That that thing is, we talked about it. That thing is so messed up. It's not even funny. And just remember, Jesus Calling is a devotional based off what she says Jesus told her, not off actual scripture. So it's, 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 it's the worst example of devotional material ever maybe ever produced in the history of Christianity. But what? Here's here. Listen, listen to me. Wait for it. Wait for it. Jesus calling was promoted by, wait for it, the communal setting, the church. Pastors and churches promoted Jesus calling. So once again, it's not that, oh, don't prophetize your spiritual life. You got to go do it in, in the body. The body can be giving you poison. 
Not only does this approach undermine the sufficiency of scripture, I want an extra word from the Lord, but it places the reader at the center of each text, reading David and Goliath and asking, how is God teaching me to slay my giants today, turns a narrative about God's faithfulness to his unfaithful people into a self-help exercise. Amen. Wait, do I got a sound effect somewhere? I got to, hey, let me read that again. Let me read that one more time. This is very important. Reading David and Goliath and asking, how is God teaching me to slay my giants today, turns a narrative about God's faithfulness to his unfaithful people into a self-help exercise. All right. I had to throw in a little laughter with the cheering because that is so true. That's what that's. And, but guess what? That has nothing to do with the privatizing. That has nothing to do with the privatizing. It's in the communal setting that takes the story of David and Goliath and turns it into how to slay the giants in your life today. It is the church that turns the narrative about God's faithfulness uh, to his unfaithful people into a self-help exercise. It's the communal setting that does this. So I don't know why they're condemning like, oh, no, no, no. We got to get it away from the private. We got to move it to the church. The church is the source of the problem. All right, so, okay, yeah. All right, let's, let's continue reading. Reading about Peter walking on water and asking, how is God calling me to step out of my boat today? Bypasses Christ's awe-inspiring display of his deity, sovereignty, and the worship it should invoke. Truly, you are the son of God. Of course, because we got to turn it into a practical story. See, the we're, we're, we're in the boat and there's the storms of life. Do you have enough faith to get out of the boat and walk on water with Jesus? But hey, if you, if you get distracted, you'll sink. Like we turn it into all about us. Um, additionally, the original authors point out the tragic but common association of private worship with a a dissociation from worshiping and learning in Christian community. So now, once again, though, I don't know why they keep worrying about the private aspect. Hey, private devotions leads to disassociating with the church. We got to have the church. You got to have the church. All the things you're talking about are things learned in churches. Just listen to sermons. They're filled with this nonsense. And those sermons are originate from, drum roll please, churches. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, they said arguing that the Schofield Reference Bible gave people a sense of competence to interpret the Bible in isolation, diminishing the need for pastors, sermons, church history, or peer review They rightly sound the alarm against a devotional life that is untethered from Christian community, a phenomenon that worsened since COVID-19, I fear. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It is, it's almost bizarre to me, right? How this sometimes plays out in the non-Catholic world. Now, let's just remember a quick, we got to do a quick, Church history lesson here. We're at 38 minutes. I'm going longer than I wanted, but that's okay. We got to do a quick church history lesson here. It was the Protestant Reformation that looked to the Catholic Church, the magisterial authority, 
the Pope and said, no, we don't need you. The scripture stands in judgment of you. You don't judge the scriptures. You don't have the sole authority to interpret the scripture. The individual has the authority to interpret the scripture. The individual, we're all priests. We're all part of a royal priesthood. We have the ability and the authority to interpret scripture. It's scripture alone. We do. The church doesn't have the authority. The individual has the authority. You can say, well, no, 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 no. That's not exactly what Luther was trying to say. You can say that all day. But that's exactly what happened. Now, every individual was like, nope, you're wrong. You're wrong. So if Luther was wrong, they went and started their group. If they were wrong, someone else started another group. If they were wrong, someone else started another group. And if they thought they were wrong, every individual became their own individual pope. Every individual became their own magisterial authority and they interpreted scripture and they determined what was right and wrong. And they would call out, they would condemn the church. I mean, how, how could anyone say you can't condemn the church? Because, well, that's how the whole Protestant Reformation started. So does the, who has the authority? They're like, no, 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 no. It's wrong to think you can just interpret the scripture alone. You can't do it untethered from pastors and from uh, sermons, and from church, and from peer review. Hey, you've got to have peer review. You've got to have sermons. You've got to have the church. You've got to have church history. Oh, okay. So I go to church history. Now, how does church history, when everyone says you've got to have church history to rightly interpret the Bible, look, I'm all for reading and studying church history. We have, that's all we've, we have made that a major part of our study at my church from the beginning. But I also know when you study church history, well, how are they going to help you interpret the, interpret the Bible? Because what we have a tendency to do is read church history. And if they agree with us, then we agree with them. And if they don't agree with us, we say they're wrong. Who do, who do I go? Do I go with Hippolytus on baptism? Do I go with Tertullian on baptism? Or do I go with the Didache on baptism? Hippolytus was telling us to get baptized in the nude after you exercise a demon. So like, come on, like we can go to church history and it's all over the place. Who are you going to agree with? Hey, I'm going to interpret Bible, my, the Bible based on this person and what they said. Yeah, but the other church father disagreed with that. Well, okay, well, who cares? So wait a minute, where's the authority? Is the authority in scripture and does the individual have the power and the authority to interpret it? Or does the individual not have the power to interpret it and they must rely to the church? Does the church have the power or no? Because I look, I I, I completely, whatever people want to claim, no, the church has authority. The church only has the authority you give it until the minute you disagree with it and you'll bail on them faster than you can say their name. Well, the original authors, I lament, Many evangelicals impulse to privatize their spiritual formation, even more so when it's defended with pious sounding platitudes like Jesus is more than enough for me and can and conceive of worship almost exclusively in terms of me and my personal relationship with Christ. So once again, they keep making this that the problem is the privatizing of it. Hey, no, no, no. You, you see, you can't do this apart from your pastor and from the community. You got to do it there. Says whom? It's the community that led to a lot of these issues that you are seeing that how people handle scripture. Churches are handling the scriptures that way. 
Now, are you saying are you are you saying the church doesn't matter? I'm not saying the church doesn't matter. I'm saying that either the individual believer has the power and ability to interpret scripture, either they have the power and ability to interpret it, or they don't. Either they have the power and ability to do so, or they don't. You say, well, they do, but they can't do it apart from the church. But then they can sit in judgment of the church. So do they need the church, or do they have the power to sit in judgment of the church? All right. So, uh, suffice to say that private worship, no matter the quality, can never serve as a substitute for worship and growth in Christian community. Finally, the original authors critique making the, making the litmus test for faithfulness and one's walk with God is simply asking, are you doing your daily quiet time? Okay, I agree there. To be sure, not only does this reduce the whole of an individual spiritual life to a single discipline, but it has the potential to cultivate significant guilt and those who miss a devotion. God, God's probably upset that I slept in and missed our appointment today. This uh, intuition uh, undercuts the core of the gospel message, which offers Christ's righteousness and work, not ours, as the basis of our acceptance before God. Okay, I completely agree with that. All right. Um, Oh, wow. This article goes on for a couple of more weeks. I mean, it's like a book. All right, so we're going to have to stop right there. We're going to have to stop right here. We may have to come back and work on this some more. We may have to come back and work on this some more. Um, I, I don't want to let this go, but I'm going, I'm going to challenge this. All right. I don't think the issue with quiet time is the private part. I really don't. I don't say, we, we, hey, we got we to gotta, we gotta quit our quiet time because it, it privatizes our Christian life. And we don't want to privatize it. We got to keep it in the community. We got to keep it in the community. And then it makes all of these things about what happens where they turn David and Goliath into a story about how to slay our giants and, and how to get out of the boat and walk on the troubles of life. What, all that, you know, Jesus walking on the water and how he can walk over our troubles or whatever, you know, how they described it. That's the stuff that comes from sermons preached in churches. I don't, I personally don't think the issue is the privatizing of it. I mean, and maybe it's my own experience. I learned how to study the Bible, not in the church, outside the church. I learned um, doctrine and theology, not inside the church, outside the church. All of that, my learning for the most part, happened outside of the church. The Probably the largest section of growth inside the church was an independent fundamental Baptist church in Papillion, Nebraska, which I did learn a lot there, and I am grateful. It all ended in utter, complete, total craziness and insanity and, and legalism and control and cult-like behavior. So it ended in a horribly devastating way. But even then, even then, if I think about it, whatever I was learning there 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 was lots of learning and i and i don't want to take anything away from it but at that time mo, again probably there was a lot of learning but the majority of the learning even at that time was happening because i was a student at grace university in omaha nebraska i was a student at let me see, moody bible institute i was a student at family radio school of the bible i was a i was enrolled in multiple schools i i was learning probably once again more from Family radio at that time. 
So once again, a lot of it was happening outside the church. Now, to be fair, a lot of the content that I learned from was being produced by churches. So you could say, well, you were learning it outside the church, but it was the church that you were benefiting from, the church at large. I, I won't deny that. I won't deny that. I won't deny that. I won't deny that. Because, for example, the Sermons 2.0 app. Now, I think if a person sits down with a Bible, a notebook, and will sit down and dedicate probably two to three hours a day, maybe two hour, two to three hours a week, just with a Bible, a notebook, and, and just start going sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon on the Sermons 2.0 app, just that one, that one resource. I don't know how, I don't, I mean, the amount that you're going to learn, the amount of things you're going to be exposed to, I think within a year, You'd probably grown more spiritually, at least in your understanding, probably more so than, than you would a, a year going to church. Now, however, all of those sermons are being produced by pastors and churches. So if the churches didn't exist, you wouldn't have that. So, and so I guess you could make an argument, you need the church, right? I mean, the point is, if the churches don't exist, then that, those sermons don't, aren't preached, So you, you you do have to consider that. But the private, I, I don't think the issue with quiet time is the private aspect of it. I think the negative aspects of quiet time is the people's inability to conduct a quiet time in a correct way. And where did they learn that? They learned it from the church. So I, I don't know how we, I, I, it's just weird that like on one hand, they're like, we agree that we're, it's being privatized too much, but I, I don't know if that's the issue. I really don't. They don't, they don't, they, at, at, at least at this point in the article, they did not, at, they did not even one time address that the people are doing it the wrong way. The original article, if I remember correctly, criticized the way people did quiet time. And, 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 and it's, it's almost like they're saying, well, see, if you go to church, you'll learn the right way. But it was the church that taught the wrong way in the first place. Now, there are good churches. Obviously. But then if you say, hey, you can't really do this on your own because you've got to be, you can't be untethered from the church because you can't really interpret the Bible without the church. Well, then that's making the church the authority. Say, no, no, the scriptures are the authority, but I can't understand the scriptures apart from the church. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, because aren't I, am I supposed to judge the church? I mean, like, like it leads to lots of questions about authority at that point in time. And if the, like, yeah, that could lead to all kinds of questions. All right. We're going to stop there. That took much longer than I wanted. I wanted to do two broadcasts. This was supposed to be quick and easy. I did not realize that that article is really a small book. It really is a small book. So we, we really need to do more work on it. I don't know how we're going to break it down. I don't want it to turn into a full-blown series, but 
it is a long article. We definitely, I definitely need to do something with this. So I'm going to, uh, gonna, I'm going to save it to my notes. Yeah, it is like if I'm just doing a normal, you know, swipe up and down on the page, I'm going to swipe down. There's one swipe, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, thirteen swipes to get to the bottom. And that's when I'm swiping like that, I'm swiping a lot is moving. So that's 13 swipes to get to the bottom of that article. That is a lot. That is a lot. So, yeah, I, I, um, Yeah, I'm just I'm just looking here. There's there's a there's a lot there. So they go into a lot. We're, we we do we need to break it down in some way, shape, or form. I don't know when, I don't know where, don't know how, but we're gonna turn it, we're gonna turn it into something. We're gonna turn it into something. Um, because I think obviously there's two different camps out here, but in some ways they're they're agreeing to some level that the issue is it's privatizing. They want to really connect it to the church. And that's just hard for me to wrap my mind around because everything for me happened outside the church. I would say that the the things that have discouraged me the most, hurt me the most, has been the church. What has just completely destroyed motivation, throw water on the fire, it's always been the church. I know that's a bad thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying don't, I'm not saying the church is bad. I'm just saying that like, I'm just, I'm just trying to be honest with you. So I don't know. News, if at yahoo.com news, if at yahoo.com news, if at yahoo.com that's news, if at yahoo.com. I guess at the same time, I got to admit that a lot of the, all the stuff that I was learning was being produced by pastors and churches. So at the same time I was benefiting from the church. So you see, that's kind of weird. The church produces all of this content and it goes everywhere. And then I can access any of it without being a part of the church. So, but I can't say then the church is bad because I'm benefiting from the church. That's see the weird kind of weird contradiction I find myself in. So I don't know. News, if at yahoo.com. News, if at yahoo.com. News, if at yahoo.com. Like, for example, this podcast, this podcast, if you benefit from it, I don't know if this would exist without the church. Right. I mean, the church helps support this, right? And the reason they help support this is because, well, they make my house payment, right? They, they, and without that, I, then I would be working all the time. And I don't know if I, if it was working all the time, I would be able to do a podcast. I don't think I could go back to those days. And I don't know if, if without the church, I could bring in enough money to pay, make my house payment based off a podcast. I don't, I don't, I don't think the support would ever get to that level. So. And then I would have to try to monetize the podcast. Do I want to monetize a theology? Po- See, then that raises all kinds of, to me, ethical questions. But there's lots of people who benefit from this podcast. So, yeah, you, you got, there's lots of questions there about how it all works. But all right. News, if at yahoo.com. I'm sorry we had to stop the article. I, I did not realize it was so long. I was taking my time. 
but we, you will probably be hearing some of this again in some way, shape, or form. I don't know. I may do it at the church. I may just dedicate another podcast to it. I don't know. We're going to talk about it more somewhere, somehow, because I think there's a lot here to explore. All right. News, if at yahoo.com. Everyone have a wonderful night. Thanks for listening to kind of an impromptu special episode that took me away from NHL hockey. I'm missing. Did Vegas win? Does anybody know if Vegas won? Did the Golden Knights win? Does anybody know? I don't know. I don't know. I missed it. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.